right, good morning, everybody. So glad to be able to worship with you on this Lord's Day. I wanted to start off, I know some of you guys don't really like this, but uh, by maybe going to your, to your neighbor and kind of discussing this question of contrasting preparation versus procrastination. Maybe you can share with your neighbor, which one do you kind of lean more towards? Are you one that's more prone to over-prepare maybe? Or are you one that's always procrastinating to the last second? Maybe it depends kind of situationally. Maybe you guys can just discuss for a couple minutes and then I'll pray. For the sake of time, I don't. I think normally I, I know when I uh, when I preach in the youth group, I usually like pick on different kids to to share. But with the blinding light, and for the sake of time, I'll just kind of personally share what comes to mind. Uh, I know stereotypically it's like the women that overpack and over, but it's it's interesting where when my wife and I plan to go on trips, I feel like I'm the one that starts packing earlier, and I like overpack my, our bag. And then I end up like not even using half of the clothes that I pack anyway. Uh, so I think that's an area in which I, I catch myself kind of over-preparing, if you will. And uh, when I was thinking about procrastination, especially as a student, I just needing to feel that the, the deadline, the pressing of I need to get such and such done. You know, now, now that I get the, the honor to, to preach, you know, I, I never procrastinate my sermons and preparation in that kind of sense. Um, but I, even I think this morning I kind of had to tweak some stuff with Chris to, get to, to add on to the slides this morning. Um, but yeah, the, the reason I started off with this question was because uh, in today's passage we see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Uh, what's interesting about the Gospel of Mark uh, in, in comparison with the other Gospels is not only how concise he is, but just how to the point he gets to. Some of the other Gospels, it talks about the genealogy of Jesus. Some of them talk about the getting ready for the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus. But here we see just from the get-go, Mark chapter 1, right, he just starts verse 1. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? And then it uh, refers back, it says, as the Isaiah the prophet. But if you actually look carefully, it's actually quoting from other passages in the Old Testament. You don't have to uh, turn there, but even from Exodus 23, 20, Malachi 31, and specifically Isaiah 40, verse 3. All these different things, it's alluding to the idea of uh, the messenger, John the Baptist, preparing the way, similar to that of Elijah in the Old Testament, preparing the way as well. And that, that leads to my first point on preparing to forgive. So amazing and wonderful about our Lord, about our God is not only was he preparing through John the Baptist, but even when we see from the beginning of creation through the Old Testament leading into this, it's God already preparing, already making a way to forgive each and every one of us of our sins, knowing 
that we are in need of a Savior, knowing that we are in need of great forgiveness. Right? And it's this idea that not only is John the Baptist preparing this way in the passage we see um, and leading others into this uh, repent, this baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, but it's all pointing towards the one who is greater, the one that's truly capable of forgiving us of our sins that is in Jesus Christ. Right? And I think the, the application, not only recognizing that God prepares to forgive, but even for us too, that we too should also prepare to forgive. And in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And when it comes to uh, forgiving those around us, or even asking for forgiveness, what, what does it look like for each and every one of us to have a not just a mindset, but even a heart to prepare ourselves in this idea of forgiveness. Uh, I was thinking back, I've, I've gotten much better now, but uh, when I was dating my wife, there were just so many times where I could tell something was off, but I couldn't exactly tell what. Right? Just looking at her, I'm sorry, I mean, she's like, what are you sorry for, Gene? I'm, I'm not really sure, right? I th maybe some of the others can relate, but it's not just having a heart to forgive, but recognizing what we are in need of forgiveness from. And preparing not only of when we do wrong, but having that prepared mindset of being willing to forgive those around us. You know, a, a funny story that came to mind as I was preparing this on the idea of preparedness um, is um, I have a six-month-old son, and when, we, when we're at home, you know, we have like the powder formula and stuff, and I can just whip that up with water. Uh, my wife is home, she'll nurse him. But when we go out, uh, we rely on this uh, Similac, like small bottles. Right? There's this picture of like what the, the thing comes in. And for the, I think it was even worse during like the height of the pandemic, but these are really hard to find. And so like a, a lot of times I'll catch myself at night on the Target app, is it in stock? Or anytime I just randomly catch myself at Target, the first place I go is the baby aisle and see, do they have any of these in stock? And fortunately, there was one night I was on the app, and this one in Garden Grove um, had in stock for me to pick up. I think normally it's like two per person, but here they were like, you can get as many as 10. I'll be a little more generous, I'll just do five. So I, I, I ordered it, and the next morning, with Jaden, and we go 30 minutes from our house in Whittier, uh, down here to Garden Grove, to, to pick up uh, all this extra formula that we need for when we're out, when we're out and about. So we get to Target, we pick it up, and I'm like, he's in a good mood. Let's kind of walk around Target. Towards the end, I'm like, oh, I, I think he's getting tired. Put him in the car, and I fall asleep on the drive home. So we're we're, we're driving back, and like I said, normally it's a 30 minute drive. And like 15, 15 minutes go by, he's, he's starting to cry. And I'm like, he's going he's gonna to cry himself to sleep. It's going to be good. He just wouldn't stop crying. And I'm in the front seat. He's in the back. And like, he should be falling asleep. What's wrong? And what I had failed to realize was that he wasn't crying because he was tired. He was crying because he was hungry. So 
20, 20 minutes in, I'm like, okay, I, I had enough. I was crying. I pull over to the gas station. I whip up one of the bottles that I just bought. I start feeding him. In that moment, I just felt so stupid, right? Because it was one thing to prepare and be active about, I'm going to get this formula for my baby. It's another thing to actively apply and use these things. I think in a similar manner with the idea of forgiveness, right? we might in our minds and our hearts say, yes, we need to forgive those around us. Yes, I need to have a heart of forgiveness. But when these instances and opportunities come of whether it's asking for forgiveness or receiving forgiveness, we can find ourselves being so hesitant and weary to do that. And I, I think a part of the reason we're so hesitant and so weary to, to go about and executing forgiveness is because, leading into my second point, it's looking at the cost of forgiveness. Right? That it, it takes something out of me to forgive this person. Or it's taking something of me to ask for forgiveness. What's interesting is going back to the original passage, the Gospel of Mark, when John the Baptist is preaching, and he's saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Right here he's leading these other people into this baptism of repentance. But John the Baptist realize, recognizes who he is, where he is, in comparison to, to the one who is really able to truly forgive us of our sins and the great cost of forgiveness that it takes. Jesus had lived this perfect life on earth without sin, without blemish, and he willingly gives himself up at that cross for our sins. And in Luke 23, 34, when he's at the cross, he's crying out to God the Father. It says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it's in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I think especially for many of us that grew up in the church, we recognize what forgiveness is and our need for it, and it's kind of programmed into us to just kind of go through the motions of asking God and confessing our sins. And I think for a lot of us, we, whether we realize it or not, kind of minimize the great cost that it took, the blood, the life that Jesus willingly had to give up great and heavy cross that only a perfect sacrifice can cover the multitude for all of us. And it's only because of that that we can find true forgiveness and true love. And I think this, uh, when it comes to forgiveness, especially in like our culture today, there's sometimes this imbalance between and this struggle of um, for forgiveness, showing forgiveness and what is right and just, right? And, um, you know, as I was prepping, um, there was this, I was reading about this woman, Rachel Den Hollander. She is one of the first, she was a U.S. gymnast. She's also a Christian, and um, she was, she, she's written like men, she wrote a memoir, and uh, this was one of the many gymnasts that was sexually assaulted by the U.S. Uh, physician, Larry Nasser. It was interesting kind of reading up on her, and for her, there was actually this big struggle of, uh, in her local church, even though she was a believer, of 
feeling as though there was this pressure upon her of by forgiving this person that had wronged her so much and to just absolve in this lack of, of finding what is right and what is just. And she went on to write this thesis that she sent out um, to a certain, uh, it's like a, a, some theological like seminar or something. But it was interesting because she was writing about how, yes, we are called to forgive because we have been forgiven from the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, that shouldn't stop us from pursuing justice. It shouldn't stop us from pursuing what is right. And while in the meantime, here on earth, we may not be able to fully actualize what true and right justice may look like, we may only get that up in heaven in eternity, that shouldn't negate or stop because that's what the great cost of Jesus on that cross took. But it's only because of that great and heavy cost of him dying on that cross that we are now justified or that it was properly atoned for terms of the many wrongs and sins that we have committed. Interesting, at the courtroom, she's speaking to directly to uh, Larry Nasser, and I wanted to read uh, what she said to him. She says, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you. And I love this quote because, yeah, like we, we may not have, exp, uh, you know, done sin to this extent, but but as we see in the Bible, it doesn't matter what kind of sin by by committing any sin, any wrong that we have now made, that there creates now this wall between us and God by Jesus' blood, Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, that 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 veil is now torn, that we once again are able to be in relationship with our Father and with our Creator. So recognizing that great cost and now creating this desire within us to forgive those around us. And in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, there's that narrative that goes where there's a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Here's how it's, I'll read verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. He goes on to uh, tell this parable of the unforgiving servant. And we don't have time to, to read to it, but essentially in, summer, in summary of that particular parable, it's the story of this king who has a servant with this insurmountable debt. And the king decides to, to be generous and forgive this servant of his debt. And when this servant has a much smaller debt that is owed by one of his fellow servants, he's unwilling to forgive. And, and I think for a lot of us, we can kind of find ourselves in that similar situation where maybe we're just so fixated on counting on, again, do I really have to forgive this person? Even if they, they keep messing up. Even with ourselves, man, I keep messing up. Can I really be continually forgiving my brother? And when Jesus is saying not seven, but 77 times, it's kind of, we have to count it. When it gets to that 77, we stop. But the point was to continually, continually have this heart of 
forgiving our trespassers, just as God has greatly forgiven us. And I think with that, this reminder that, yes, we continually forgive, not because of that we're better than, but it's because of the, the heart of not putting this kind of debt on them, but it's this heart of a love and generosity. One of my uh, guilty pleasure TV shows that I watch, Survivor. For those that watch the season finale, it's coming Wednesday. But uh, I remember uh, Pastor Steve, there was like a random meeting. He was asking us to share different shows that we've been watching. And I, I, said, I shared that in our staff meeting. And I could sense some judgment. But why do you still watch that show? Or I think when I, when I tell people that, I, that, I, that I'm a fan, it's like the show is still on or they've never even heard of it. Uh, but the, part of the reason I like this is, for those that don't know, the, the premise is there's these contestants on the island. And it used to be all about, like, surviving on this island, but it's now become much more like game, strategy, like mental like strategy kind of stuff. But the premise is every week they vote off uh, a, a member, and then eventually the people that you vote off at the end vote to decide who's going to be the, the winner and, and win the million dollars. The reason I bring this show as an example is because I think for, for with it being now the, the 45th season, it's interesting because season by season, it kind of varies in terms of the jury's response on who they're going to vote for. Um, there's oftentimes this very bitter jury of, because this person wronged me, I'm not going to vote for them to win. There's other seasons where, bitterness aside, recognizing, you know, th this person played the as is the best game, and so I'm going to still choose to vote for them to be this winner. And uh, as I was preparing this, uh, I was looking, I was reading um, Tim Keller's book on forgiveness, and I really liked these different models of forgiveness that he showed. Right? And there's three just bad models of forgiveness and one uh, Christian proper mindset kind of just run through it quickly. The, the three that are kind of not good models of forgiveness, it's all grace-related. It's First was cheap grace. And it's this idea of non-conditional forgiveness. I'm going to just constantly forgive, forgive, forgive without reprimand to the, to the one that did wrong. But there's no justice involved of what, of what the person did wrong. I think for us previously going through the book of First Corinthians, it's something a lot of the Corinthian church, and maybe even some of us today, struggle with, right, of cheapening God's grace. There's the idea of little grace, which is a transactional forgiveness, which I think kind of leads back to my previous example of survivor, where it's all about earning forgiveness, and what have you done for me so that I can give back to you. Uh, the, the third improper form of forgiveness was showing no grace, where there is no forgiveness and only seeking justice. Right? The model that uh, Keller pushes for is this fourth option of costly grace. And it's understanding both Christ's forgiveness on the cross and also the justice that he took for us on the cross. Uh, and it's this idea of recognizing that forgiveness is both a vertical relationship between God and us which also plays into now this horizontal relationship between us and, our, and those around us. When I, when I think about 
the world that we live in, this cancel culture, all these different things of whether or not to forgive those around us. I think part of the reason why they're not inherently bad things, but I think that they fall short because they fixate too much on solely the horizontal view of forgiveness, and they don't look at the, the vertical relationship of forgiveness that we find with God the Father to that of us. And then... And by realizing that vertical nature that God forgives first and foremost, I think it is only by that that we're able to then recognize what true forgiveness looks like. Um, you know, quoting from Tim Keller, he says, forgiveness gets down to the bottom of things, to the alienation we feel from God and from ourselves because, our, because of our wrongdoing. Jesus was saying, I want to show you that the deepest need of your nature is for me. Only I can bestow perfect love, new identity, endless comfort, hope, and glory. And the doorway into all of that is to know forgiveness. And it's, it's only through the forgiveness that we first receive from God that we're able to now extend that to those around us, which leads to my third and final point, which is forgiven and forgive. Like going back to passage today in verse 8 of Mark chapter 1, it's, it says, John speaking, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it's that the true transformation only comes from God the Father, not from anyone else here on this earth. Right? And the, the quicker we are in understanding what that true forgiveness from God looks like, it's only then that from that overflow, Extend that open heartedly, not just forgiving, but forgiving with love to those around us. In Luke chapter 7, there's that story of the sinful woman just you know, going crazy and like weeping and adorning Jesus' feet. The surrounding Pharisees and scribes are all judging the woman, judging Jesus for doing this. And it's interesting to see Jesus' response to all this. It's Luke 7, verses 46 to 47. He says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So we see in this passage that the sinful woman recognizes her great sin and reciprocates to Jesus the great love that she has for him forgiving her of that. In the same manner, can we today recognize the great love, the great cost of forgiveness that God has bestowed upon us and that compel us to now not only love, but also to forgive um, those that we're surrounded by. Uh, this happened uh, quite a few years ago. I always joke that I need to have some sort of sports analogy as illustration. I preach, so this is my, my sports-related example. But back in uh, 2015 or 16, the NBA coach, Monty Williams, uh, his wife passed away in a tragic car accident. There's a picture of him at the, 
you know, giving a eulogy. And what was so fascinating was, like, everyone that had any sort of interest in basketball, in the NBA, they all would listen and hear um, the, the eulogy that he gave towards his wife. And in, in closing of his eulogy, he was expressing great thanks for the prayers that him and his family were receiving. But he was also encouraging those around them to also be prayerful and to also love on the other family, the other party that was involved in the car accident, that created the car accident. Extending that forgiveness to that family, having no ill wishes and, and wanting to have a heart of love just be, um, because, also because of the, the overflow that of forgiveness and love that he already received. And the reason I bring this example up is because it makes me wonder for us as believers, for us that call themselves to be children of God, with those around us that, that maybe aren't believers, characterize us to be people of love, to be people that show forgiveness. When this tragic thing happened to, to Monty Williams, that it was just so made clearly and known of just the great heart of love and forgiveness that he was willing to show. And it makes me wonder, even for myself, do I have, am I known as someone to, to love and forgive quickly to those around me? Or do I oftentimes find myself kind of like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just bitter. I want to preserve myself. I want to choose to not forgive it's because of my pride, whether it's because I want to hold on to something to be in control. Instead, if we as a people of God would be known and characterized, just as we continue to prepare, just as Christ and God prepared, and that we ourselves can't forgive ourselves, but it's only through his blood, it's only through that overflow that we're able to now forgive those around us, that hopefully we would be a people characterized by that. And I wanted to close again with a, if you have time, I really, I felt like I was like tempted to quote like a billion things from this book by Tim Keller, but I'll just close it off with this one last one. Um, but, he, but he says this, he says, finally, we learned that the goal of forgiveness is primarily neither inner healing nor payback to the offender. Certainly, forgiveness can bring inner healing and can be part of the pursuit of justice. But the ultimate purpose of forgiveness is the restoration of community. It's this restoration of ourselves with God the Father, the Creator. But it's also this, the horizontal, right? The restoration of us as a community, not only with fellow believers, but to, to all the people. I guess that's my, my hope and prayer for each and every one of us. The, the, the challenges that I, that I wanted to bestow is not just knowing in our heads, yes, I need to forgive. I need to have a, a greater heart of forgiveness. But God, would that be an overflow, not from my own source of how much I can allocate, but because the great cost and the, the abundance of love and forgiveness that Christ has already shown to us. It's only from that that I'm able to forgive and love those around us. Uh, let me close this in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much that, that you loved us so much and you sent your son Jesus to, to live a perfect and blameless life, recognizing uh, what it would take to, to be separate from, from God the Father, but yet willingly doing that so that all who believe would be saved and forgiven of their sins. And so, Lord, I just pray that that would stir within us a, a greater capacity, a greater desire to forgive those around us, to, to ask for forgiveness when we do wrong, but to, to not forget the, the greatest act of forgiveness from, from you and using that as to, to instill forgiveness to those around us. God, we thank you so much. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.